Lord, I just pray that um, tonight you'll just open our hearts to, to receive uh, your word. pray that you will bless my words and yeah, just, just give us insight into prayer and, and how to connect you and how to come to you like a child. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I had to go do a little bit of reading just to make sure that I'm giving you guys a good message, which is okay, I like to read. Um, so I turned through that. I seriously recommend this book for you. Uh, it's called The Praying Life, and the guy's name is Paul E. Miller. I've got a lot of insight from that book. I'm going to share quite a bit of this stuff um, for, for tonight as has come out of there. But then obviously a lot has come out of the Bible and other stuff, and um, there's, there's quite a bit of my own experience in there as well. And, and my goal is to kind of, I know, almost like life hack prayer for you, because I don't know, I, I tend to get a little bit lost. So I'm, I'm going to share some of my insights with you and, and see what you think. Um, but just to put this in context and, and kind of get the focus back, Andre once, um, in, in this sermon series, The, the Kingdom of Light, he, he, his, his kind of goal is he wants God to light our lamps, that we can be that lamp on a lampstand, that city on a hill, and for our light to shine. And, and part of that is going to be us focusing on prayer so that we can position ourselves for God to actually light our lamps. So Andre wants us as a church community to develop a lifestyle of prayer. And, and that's going to be my focus for tonight, the, the lifestyle, because I, I really love that idea of a, a lifestyle of prayer, um, at least in theory, because, like I said, prayer for me is an interesting one. Corporate prayer is cool. Um, you, you get other people praying in those moments where you're not quite sure what to say and you, there's a bit of pressure off you. But I, I just find that when, when I'm alone, it, it doesn't always go so amazingly well. Um, so if you're anything like me, you, you realize that there's this need for prayer, but sometimes it's a bit intimidating. I'm not always sure how to do it or what to say or how to ask or how much I can ask for, and I, I, just, yeah, I just find it tough sometimes. Um, so looking at the scriptures, that's where I started. Uh, I found some common themes to prayer. Okay, there's humility, there's righteousness, uh, there's being in need or distress, and there's faith. And I'm just going to just pick a sort of selection of verses from, from this. And, and I want you to see if you can pick up those themes. Um, okay, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his eyes are attentive to their cry. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord hears the needy and does not despise his captive people. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek with all your heart. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Okay, and there's, there's pages and pages of, of that kind of thing. But I realize that just knowing those themes, humility, righteousness, being in need and, and distress and, and, and faith, that doesn't necessarily then equip you to pray. Um, so, so that's kind of my mission for tonight is to, is to see if I can impart some of the understanding that, that I've got on, on personal prayer that I've, I've picked up from, like I said, these, these couple of sources. Because um, otherwise we, we kind of just hack it out with prayer and um, yeah, we, we just go on the way we've always gone on. And I don't think that's ideal because if we're going for a lifestyle of prayer, we, we've got to know what we're doing. We, we've got to be able to pray by ourselves. We've got to be able to pray during the day and stay connected to the Lord. It's not just about coming to church and praying and doing corporate prayer. Um, 
So I want to ask if this at all sounds familiar to you. You sit down to pray, and after about 20 seconds, the day's list of worries and tasks pops up and derails you before you even begin. But you're a superb Christian, and you catch your sneaky, wandering mind, and by sheer force of will, you go back to praying. And then it happens again. You get derailed. So instead of actually praying, I sometimes feel like we do this weird mix of like planning the next day, worrying about some stuff that happened for today, um, with like a little bit of daydreaming in between. And I find that there's like this deep desire to connect with, with my heavenly Father, but I just sometimes I just don't get there. It's like all these little things just get in the way, and I'm like, ah, come on, surely it has to be easier than that. And then I start feeling guilty. You get these thoughts like, oh, why can't I do this? Should I have worshipped before I started praying? Or did I worship enough before I started praying? Um, I don't know, like, do other Christians have these kind of problems? Like, am I the only weird guy out here? Um, Are those his thoughts or my thoughts? And yeah, I just, yeah, it it gets tricky. So so after a few minutes, you like throw in the towel and you're like, oh, I'm just going to go get some work done or... If it's me early in the morning, I'll just try to get some extra sleep. But like I said, we're after a lifestyle of prayer, so we, we can't do that. So what I'm going to focus on tonight is I'm going to look at something that, that makes prayer hard, and, and that is cynicism. And it's, it's something that I picked up from, from this a Praying Life book um, where he speaks about cynicism and, and why that can really, really derail our prayer life. I'm, uh, prayer life. I'm going to look at some ways that we can maybe fix a cynical nature that we, gotta, uh, that, that we have and, and look at where that came from and then just go through some tips for praying and then some tools for praying. Okay, so, so that's it. I feel like it's quite a simple message, but I'm, I'm hoping that you guys are going to get something out of it. Okay, so first of all, why is praying hard? Okay, so first of all, I reckon the biggest issue is we're just so busy and there's so much noise. Our lives are really, really full. I mean, how many of you like feel that you've got to be doing something with every moment of your life, otherwise you're, like, you're not getting your money's worth? So to actually sit down and keep still for a moment is, is difficult. We love to be entertained by the radio in the car and the TV when we get home. Our phones are a distraction. We've got to fill up every moment. So when we end up needing that time alone it feels weird and without all that stuff it's it's awkward because of the silence you see <laughs> so we've got to find time to just really keep quiet and, and get used to that now i'll pick up on that a little bit later but there's also cynicism and i, I mentioned that just now cynicism is like the opposite of a childlike spirit. Being cynical in prayer is like, it's, it's almost like a lack of faith. So you, you pray for something, maybe just something really simple, and um, you get an answer to that, and you kind of think, well, maybe that would have happened anyway. You know, like, um, maybe you like say, Lord, I really need to speak to this person, and they phone you. And you're like, oh, they would have phoned me anyway. Or, I don't know, like, Maybe you're praying like you're a bit short of money and you find some cash on the ground and that pays for lunch. You're like, oh, well, I would have picked that up anyway. That's getting cynical instead of like trusting that it was actually the God that, that made the difference there. Okay, so I'm going to give some examples and, and maybe identify with, with some of these statements. Okay, it's easier for me to feel skeptical or to feel nothing than to allow myself to feel deeply about things. Number two, 
I knew that he would let me down. That's why I held back in the relationship. It just feels like I can't find the joy in things because I'm too aware to trust or hope. Behind every silver lining, there is a cloud. I'm always observant and critiquing, but never truly engaged, loving, or hopeful. What's the point of praying anyway? He never hears me. Or this one that we all heard of this week, if you watch the video in small groups, from that Todd White video. When he goes to the pet shop and he's chatting to that lady, um, the lady in the pet shop, he, he asks her about Jesus. She says, do I believe in Jesus? I do. Does he speak to me? No. And I think that's, yeah, that's just so cynical. But I think we've all been there on some level or another at, at some stage in our lives. But it, it comes from a spirit. There's, there's a spirit of this age. There's like this unseen presence that, that makes us cynical like that. And it's, if Satan can't stop you from praying, he's got to try and rob you of the joy of praying and the fruit that actually comes from praying. So I'm, we're going to have a look at cynicism. I'm going to keep going. And the idea here is that I want you to be able to recognize when people around you are being cynical, maybe even when you are being cynical, so that you can stop yourself right there and go, actually, no, this is of the Lord, and, and move forward and, and come back to that um, sort of childlike faith. Okay, you see, cynicism is a double-edged sword. Being cynical allows you to protect yourself from any kind of crushing disappointment, but then you also paralyze yourself from actually doing anything. It's like you're in the know. You've got that like sneaky background knowledge because you're cynical. You're like, oh, I don't trust in that because of this. Okay, but that actually just, it's like a false in intimacy and it, it leads to bitterness and you lose your trust and you end up being distant. So where did the cynical worldview uh, come from? Currently, Western um, culture or Western civilization is the most publicly atheistic culture that has ever existed. Across all cultures, generally, they acknowledge that there is a spiritual realm. But in the West, we don't. We don't like to acknowledge that at all. How did that happen? In the 18th century, the leading thinkers, I love that, leading thinkers of the time, decided that they didn't really need God anymore. And another awesome thing, they called it the Enlightenment. These guys from the Enlightenment, they were called the secularists, as they were known. They divided the world into two broad categories. So that's why they were called secularists. They just took everything and basically chopped it in half and said, right, well, for everyone, a couple of things are true. If it's true for everyone, it's things like facts and stuff that we can study in science. But then on the other side, there's things like feeling and love and religion. Things that are true maybe just for you. Okay, so, so that's how they split the world. Things that you can um, feel versus things that are facts. And you'll notice from that circle with religion in the top that they put God at the top there. They've grouped him in with um, things like feeling and subjective opinion. And when that happens, God gets marginalized. So that's what's happening with cynicism is, is God gets pushed to the side. He's like this fairy tale thing. And every time something like that happens where you pray, it, we, we're living in this culture of cynicism and it's just like what we're in it's almost like you want to breathe clean air but you're sitting in the city smog and you're inhaling the stuff you don't want to but it's it's just there and um you know if, if you identified with any of the statements from earlier maybe you realize that you've you've just sort of picked up on the cynicism it's, it's kind of just it's there secularism that that splitting grew out of human pride particularly from scientific achievement okay any of you have ever like looked into um, what, what they're saying in the evolution debate, um, we'll, we'll know this kind of intuitively. The scientists there are just saying that evolution is fact and science is fact. 
and, and they just sort of push God to the side. And, and particularly, they, they like to hammer Christian religion. The others, they kind of tolerate. But Christian religion in particular, they, they marginalize, and they, they call it like myth and fairy tale. They don't even say that religion is not real. They define it as not real. And, and that's the world that we're living in. And this guy, this guy's amazing. Um, Dr. P.Z. Myers, he's an atheist. And, and this is an actual quote. Okay, this, this is what he says about religion. He says, religion is an idea that gives some people comfort. And we don't want to take that away from them. It's like knitting. People like to knit. We're not going to take away their knitting needles. And we're not going to take away their churches. But what we have to do is get to a place where religion is treated at the level at which it should be treated. That is something fun that people get together and do on the weekend and doesn't really affect their life as much as it has been so far. Like that's, that's like the heart of the spirit. It's just like religion, oh yeah, well it's something fun to do. It doesn't really work. Like okay, yeah, have fun, go sing songs, go praise God. But that's just like your subjective feeling. It's not fact, it's not real. And it, it's got this presence, it's this worldly presence that weighs down on us. Um, this is, this is a quote from the book, and he says, he says, Without the good shepherd, we are alone in a meaningless story. Weariness and fear leave us feeling overwhelmed, unable to move. Cynicism leaves us doubting and unable to dream. The combination shuts down our hearts, and we just show up for life, going through the motions. Some days it's just difficult to get out of our pajamas. And we've all been there. Sometimes you just, you just don't want to face the world because you feel just so alone in the story. And, and that comes from that cynical nature. Now, I'm not saying that it's true for everyone. And I'm not, I'm not even saying that it's true all the time. Like when you're on top of the world and you're feeling great, well, cool, then you're feeling great. But think about the last time that you went through like a super tough patch. Something was really hard in your life. Whatever it was, a relationship thing or a financial thing or whatever. Through that, did you 100% lean on God because you just knew he was there and he was getting you through? Or did you at some stage, even just a little bit, get a little bit like Saki and like, oh, well, what's the point? It happens. Okay, and, and, and that's, that's what I really want to bring to your attention. When I was reading in this, uh, this in the book, I was just amazed. I was like, oh my gosh, that's exactly like how I am. I get so like defeatist almost about some of the issues that I face when I really should be looking to the Lord to, to get me through things. So just, yeah, that, that's the point. I mean, it, this doesn't really help you pray much, but it really does help you identify where you are maybe lacking a little bit of faith, where you're losing a bit of hope, and it just gives you like that awareness to go, all right, cool, there's a bit of cynicism. I'm going to just be turning away from that right now and, and going in the other direction. Okay, so here are just a couple of things we can do to, to get over cynicism and to, and to help us turn away. The first is to care but be aware. Jesus said, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. So what he's saying there is, is like, keep a soft heart, but don't be naive. Okay, be, be like a child and be innocent, but, but don't be naive to the fact that there's evil in the world. And when we get confronted with evil of any sort, it's, it's easy to harden up and to get cynical and to get like down and, and out and like, oh, the world's got me. But Jesus is telling us that we should rather be wise and aware of that evil and just, just be conscious of what's going on in your heart. When we put our trust in God, um, while we're watchful of, the, of that evil, then, then we're looking after our hearts as well. Okay, the next is to keep hoping. Being cynical destroys hope. It's the kind of thing that says, 
well, expect nothing. And then if something does happen, if something good does happen, well, then, okay, then you can get happy about it instead of expecting God to be good all the time. It's like believing in your final um, redemption and your salvation, but all the while in between, just like, oh, well, all those promises that God said, well, that's not really for me now. Yeah, I'm saved in the end, but, you know, I don't really believe in those promises. Because you've got to keep hoping. You've got to keep hoping in, in all those promises. Paul tells us in Romans fifteen thirteen, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of his Spirit. So Paul, Paul knew this. I mean, guys have been doing this for ages, getting cynical and losing hope. And Paul's encouragement to the churches is, is by the power of the Holy Spirit, just abound in hope. Okay, let the Spirit give you joy and peace in believing. Okay, so just be on the lookout for cynicism and, and be very deliberate about staying um, hopeful. The next is develop a childlike spirit. I'm going to come back to this a little bit later. Uh, I'm going to give you more on that in, when, when I look at some tips for praying. Essentially, developing a childlike spirit means um, being childlike in the way that we walk with God. So it's, it's electing to, to walk with him and take his hand rather than kind of going, ah, it's me. It's all about me. I'm going to do this my way. Um, one way we can do this is by looking, looking to Scripture to guide us. Uh, for example, Psalm 23. Will you put that one up? Okay, cool. Uh, as big as I could make it for that slide. I hope you can read it. But I mean, I think you know Psalm 23. Okay, so as you read through it, just allow yourself to, to look back on the day and, and look for times where, where God was actually there. Okay, so through the green pastures and the dark valleys, setting a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Because what happens is you will go through those valleys. You can either go through the valleys childlike or you can go through um, like a cynic. The difference is where we put our focus. The cynic is inwardly focused, whereas the childlike focuses on, on God the shepherd. So here's an interesting thing. When we get sucked into that secular worldview, that, that worldview that just takes God out of the equation and excludes him, we become cynical. So look what happens to the psalm when you remove God the shepherd and everything that he does. Will you do the next slide? Uh, where'd it go? Can I go back one? Yeah, there we go. Okay, so I don't know how well you can read that, but a lot of stuff is crossed out. So I'll just read it for you. So if you remove all the Lord and the shepherd and everything that the shepherd does, it reads as follows. It says, my, I shall be in want. Me, my soul, me. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I fear evil. Me, me, in the presence of my enemies, my cup. All the days of my life, I, forever. Interesting, eh? It's very self-centered. You, you can sense the pride that, that's there. It's all about us and our problems. Okay? And that's the result of, of getting cynical and, and lacking hope and, and not being childlike. Without, without God, we end up being bitter and alone um, in a world of evil. And that's why we have to stay childlike. Because being childlike doesn't mean that um, you're naively optimistic. Nor does it mean that you look at these problems and just deny that things are, are going wrong in your life but it does mean facing the world through the lens of psalm 23 and going i know there's a dark valley to go through i know that there's evil in the world but i'm going through it um holding god's hand and with him rather than kind of just like getting emo about it and and, and losing hope 
Okay, the fourth one is to look for Jesus in your day and develop thankfulness. So when we are aware of what God is doing all through our day, when we're in the green pastures or when we eat in those deep valleys, we can thank him for little moments that he was there. It isn't about forcing yourself to be happy, okay, or pretending to be happy, but rather, even when you're facing challenges, you just acknowledge that God was there and you thank him for his presence. And, and when you can do that, then, then you're staying childlike and then you're pushing away cynicism because it's not just, oh, it's me and my problems. Oh, poor me. No one's with me. Oh, shame. It's rather, okay, I've got something that's ahead of me. Lord, I know you're with me in this. Let's go through together. So we've got to look through our whole day for, um, for instances where God was there. So what happens is cynicism looks reality in the face and calls it phony and prides itself on, the inside, on its insight and, and pulls back from a situation, whereas thanksgiving looks reality in the face and rejoices at God's care. It replaces a bitter spirit with a generous one. And Paul was great at doing this. Paul wrote letters to severely dysfunctional churches. He wrote letters to, like, the Corinthians. At one stage, he says to the Corinthians, like, you're doing stuff that the Gentiles don't even do. Sort your lives out. When he wrote to the Roman church, he wrote to the church... Um, um, in Ephesus, I mean, you wrote, all these churches, if you read the letters, Ephesians, Corinthians, Colossians, whatever it is, the churches had issues. They were doing stuff really, really wrong. And he wrote to them, and just, just look at his words. Um, I think it's on the next slide. He says, first, I give thanks to my God for Jesus Christ, for all of you. I give thanks to God always because of you and the grace of God that was given you in Jesus Christ. We always thank God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. We also constantly thank god so despite the problems that the church has had and despite all the obviously the problems that he he faced as well he was always always thankful to god for what he was doing there's a problem yes but that problem doesn't become the center of the attention god becomes the center of attention and, and he's thanking god for his presence there okay the last one um, in tips for coming or getting over cynicism is to repent repent's got a lot of i don't know like it's just quite a broad topic on its own. Um, but essentially, when we get, when we get things wrong and, and, and we sin, um, we, we need to repent. We're humans and we, we're learning to walk like Jesus, so we are going to sin. It is going to happen. But it's just, it, it's really important uh, what we do when we do sin. Like, how, how, do, we, you know, how do we reconcile what, what happened? Do we just sin and go, oh, well, that happened and just move on? Or is there something that we should rather be doing? There is something we should be repenting. Okay, so how do we deal with it? For example, if you sin, your heart gets out of sync with God. Okay, your life goes on and you continue to say Christian things, but they end up just being words. It's like talking about Jesus, but without the presence of Jesus. There's a gap between the person you are and the person that you present to other people. As a result, your words sound insincere. And because you know your own guilt, you begin to doubt the sincerity of other people too. You maybe even begin to judge or accuse other people. I don't know if that's ever happened for you. But that's becoming cynical. And, and jealousy is just such a good example of this. Like you, you've done something that you wouldn't trust. And then you, you're like jealous of people when they do that thing. Okay, so like, I don't know, like relationships is the best place for this. Have you ever had like a, a girlfriend, boyfriend, wife, husband, whatever it happens to be where... You trust them completely, but they're like super jealous of you. Like, where does that come from? Or, you know what I'm saying? Like, where, where does that jealousy come from? But then if you go and cheat on that person, 
then you, you know that. You know your guilt and your sin, but, but they don't. And then you start to go, well, I think they might be cheating on me too. And it, 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 makes, it just breeds cynicism. So th- that's where the two people come from. It, it creates a gap. So if you, another example is if you speak unkindly to people behind their uh, backs, yet you are polite to their face, that also creates a gap. There, there there's two people that you've created. There's the polite and kind friend when you're in, in front of them, and then there's the gossiping friend when, you, when you're not in front of them. So what repentance does is it brings those two personalities back together, okay, and it restores your integrity. By going to the person and confessing your sins, you, you bring the, the real person, the, the sinning person, out into the open, and, and you kind of merge the two personalities back together again. So if, if I've been gossiping about you, Ashlyn, and I come and say, listen, really, I'm sorry about what I did, you know that I'm actually a gossip, and then you see me as the person I really am. It's not that I'm trying to create these two different personalities. Okay, so that's just a gossiping or a jealousy example, but I don't know. Pick your sin. I, th- there's plenty. So repenting is, is all about whatever you've done, Get to someone, confess that sin, and, and just say, look, this is the real me. I'm, I'm guilty of doing this. And it, it takes a lot of humility to do that. You've got to put your pride in your pocket, and you've, you've got to go to that someone. But it's, it's actually, in the end, a really freeing thing. And it's, like I said, it, it just kills cynicism. Because if you're not presenting those two personalities, then you're not also looking for, hey, I think you might just be talking behind my back as well because you're feeling guilty about you talking behind other people's backs. Okay, so anyway, so you, you get what I'm saying. Repentance will, will kill that. Um, cynicism um, yeah, focuses on the split personality of others, and the cure of that is we need to repent regularly. Okay, that word regularly is an interesting one, because every now and again we'll, we'll have a moment where we repent, but like, are we looking after our hearts on a, on a regular basis? Um, I think Andre spoke about pulling arrows out of each other's back uh, in a few sermon series ago. And that's a really, really good um, kind of metaphor that, the metaphor for that, um, where the enemy is like attacking you, attacking you, attacking you, and you do stuff wrong. It's really great to get together with an accountability partner and just say, listen, this, this is me, I've messed up. Pull the arrows out of your back, get your heart cleaned out, and, and walk, walk ahead. Okay, so, so that's a lot on cynicism in the end, but hopefully you're aware of it now. You, you can catch yourself being cynical if you, if you ever end up in, in that space and you, you've got um, tools to, yeah, to, to be equipped in, in dealing with it and, and to really just walk away. And if, if you can do that, then I think your, your praying life is going to become easier because you know, it sounds weird that I spend so much time on cynicism and I'm actually going to be talking about prayer, but it's really important that, you, that you're not cynical because so much of prayer relies on you being faithful. How are you going to be faithful and have faith and pray for others if in your heart you're going, oh, Andrew, I prayed for you, but really, uh, I don't know. What, was it worth it? You know, like if, if we're going to have a praying lifestyle and we're going to pray and we're going to be effective as a church, that cynicism just can't be there. So I spent a lot of time on it. Be aware of it. Deal with it. Okay, now into the real praying stuff. Tips for praying. Okay, let's go. Cool. Next slide. First one, become like little children. I love that slide. Such a cute little guy. Okay, but the, yeah, just be like little children. So think about this. Have you ever had a, uh, I mentioned this earlier, but like a, a quick answer to a prayer request um, 
and, and you thought, uh, was, was, that really, was that really God or would it have happened anyway? If you're childlike, you go, yes, it definitely was God. But if you're cynical, uh, not so much. Okay, so all these things come from being cynical. We need to ask God like a child. And when we simply just ask him for help, um, we've become childlike again. So when we're putting God above us and we're going to him for help and, and we need him, it just puts that whole cynical thing aside. C.S. Lewis said an interesting thing. He said this, those who will never be fooled can never be delighted because without self-forgetfulness, there can be no delight. And I think that's so interesting. Like that, that's like a childlike nature. If, if you can't just like forget about yourself and your worries and oh, what will other people think, then, then you can't be fooled and you can't be delighted. And, and I really think that that's what the Lord wants to do. He really wants to just bless us. I mean, Jesus says, he said, truly I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. He said in another verse in, in Matthew 18, 3, he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. That's quite a strong statement. I think all of us want to go to heaven. How childlike do you feel? Like I'm challenged on this. So how do we do this in prayer? How do we be childlike in, in prayer? And I want you to think about what little kids are like. Like, this is easy for me. Uh, they've been taken off to the back room, but my kids were at the back there. And it's just so interesting to watch them, and particularly Jared, who's three, just the way he does stuff. So let me, let me give you like a little rundown about what little kids are like. Little kids are without pretense. Uh, they are just as they are, and they say things as they are. They ask for what they want, and they expect that things will happen because they have absolute confidence in their parents' love for them. They instinctively trust they can't imagine that their parents won't eventually say yes. They are persistent, but it's their childlike faith in their parents' love for them that their parents want to do good for them that drives that persistence. And I'm going to give you an example. This, this is our every morning when we wake up and Jared wants tea. We wake up, or at least Jared wakes up, because we'll, we'll probably be awake. And the first thing, I mean, like we, we know he's awake because we get, Mom, I want some tea in a big cup. With honey. Okay, cool. And Kim will say, yes, boy, I'll get you some, some tea. And it'll be 30 seconds later. And it's, Mom, want some tea? A big one with honey. Yes, I mean, she hasn't even put on the kettle yet. So she put on the kettle and it's, it's not even boiled. And again, it's, Mom, I want some tea. A big one with honey. Like he's very specific. And he, he's just so persistent. And you end up saying to the kid, like, but the kettle hasn't even boiled it. We're getting there. We said yes. Yes, Dad. And you like walk away. and Dad, can I have some tea? Like, yes. You can have. I mean, he just knows that he's getting tea from us. He, he knows that we love him and that he's going to get his tea. So it's, it's, that, it's that childlike faith that just drives that persistence. And you know, I don't know. I, I feel that something I need to work on is, is persistence in prayer. Like, you ask God something once and think, okay, well, there we go, it's done. But we've got to be persistent. We've got to be childlike. And, and, and I love that. I mean, for me, before I read this book, I, I've, like I said, I found it quite difficult to pray. But to come childlike and, and to be like that and say things as they are and ask for what you want and expect that it's going to happen, that kind of takes a bit of pressure off. The next one is to come messy. Another cool picture. Come messy. Okay, so... When you come messy, try not to worry about how you approach prayer. 
just forget about how difficult it is to concentrate on God. So think, think about those moments, like this is so easy for me. Think about those moments where it's like five o'clock in the morning, you've woken up and you want to pray and you like start thinking about, oh, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to do this, oh, this is due this. Um, and, and you just get derailed. So don't worry about your approach to prayer. Forget about how difficult it is to concentrate on God. And don't worry that your mind is burdened about everything that life has today. Uh, anything that life is going to throw at you today, any of that, just, just come as you are. And I love that verse. But you'll notice that it doesn't read as follows. Come to me, all you who have learned how to concentrate in prayer, those whose mind no longer wander and who have it all together, and I will give you rest. Like it doesn't say that. So go as you are. Go messy and just, just be messy with the Lord. I mean... Again, like, cool, um, just think from my own life. Jared, um, he did it today even, will, will come to me with a face full of chocolate from the ice cream that he ate an hour ago. Uh, he'll have a runny nose and, like, he skinned his knee or something. And he wants to just come sit in my lap and, and tell me about it. And, you know, like, if he had a big fall, he's probably in tears. But if it's not a bad fall, he's just, he's like, he just wants to show me what's on his knee. But he doesn't like bypass the bathroom and go clean himself up and change his clothes and make sure that he's not crying anymore. Like he just comes as he is. He's messy and he doesn't mind like snuggling into my shoulder. I'm like, oh, my clothes, but okay, I love you. You obviously just need me now. Like he's not worried. He's childlike. He just arrives and like, here I am, dad. Sort this out. And I really think that's so cool. We can go to God like that. We can just go messy. Um, and, and we don't have to worry about fixing ourselves up first and, and getting our heads clear. I mean, there's, there's um, kind of like a, a thing that we, we've heard before of like, you, you don't first get yourself well before you go to hospital. Duh. But like, same with prayer. Like, you, you don't have to fix yourself up first before you go to God. Just go messy. Okay, the next one is be you. Jesus called the, Phari- uh, the Pharisees hypocrites um, because they were sinners, but they... they portrayed this image of like religious perfection and and we aren't perfect and god knows that so like why try to hide it and job is an amazing example of this i mean we we know the story of job he he had everything uh the devil went to god and said look can i test your servant god said yeah go for it but you can't kill him and the devil gave job a pretty hard time he lost his family he lost all his possessions he lost everything he had and job kind of endures everything for a while and then he starts to get properly angry at God, and he unleashes, he unleashes his anger on God. But it's, it's interesting that we think that that's not okay, and yet it's in the Bible. I mean, like, Job pretty much throws a tantrum at the Lord, and the Lord's okay with it. You, you read the end of Job, and who is God shouting at? God's shouting at Job's friends, and he's praising Job. And I think that's because if you, if you look at relationships, particularly like marriages, there's, I don't know where this comes from. It just sticks in my head. Couples that fight together stay together. But it's the couples that kind of just have this indifferent, indifference to each other. Like, oh, we're fighting, so I'm just not engaging you now. And, and they just pull away from each other. It's those relationships that break down. Not the ones where you go, this is how I'm feeling. I'm really annoyed. Because then at least you can talk about it. And, and Job is real in his relationship with God. And he comes and he's, he's just himself and he doesn't hold back. And he, he tells God, look, I'm angry, I'm, I'm this and I'm that. Um, and, and God's okay. I mean, 
I, th- I think we need to realize that God can handle you. God, God can handle who you are. God can handle Job and his anger. He can handle you and your anger. If, if you sit down and you're angry, just be angry. Um, just be real. Yeah. So instead of being worried about who you are, begin with who you are. Tell God about your worries. Tell him why you're weary. You might as well, because if you don't, like we said earlier, all those worries are just going to come and derail your thoughts in any case. Um, so start with, start with why things are hard. Jesus came for sinners, for the oppressed. So the very things that you're trying to put aside and not worry about in prayer are the very things that qualify you to be in Jesus' presence in any case. So I, I really love that. Just, just be you and, and just pitch up and, and tell God how things are going. Um, the next one is be real. Okay, I'll get to what's on, the, what's on the screen there now. Okay, so one of the key things you're doing when you pray is to spend time with God and, and you're building a relationship with God. When you come as a child, as yourself, it's, it's easier to be real and, and easier to spend that time with, with your heavenly Father. Okay, and you, you don't want to be like, uh, I don't know, doesn't want to, I, don't let it be a formula. Okay, so that acts thing, I'm sure we've all seen that before. Like when you sit down to, pr- to pray, you do acts. You first do adoration, then confession, then thanksgiving, then supplication, which basically means pray about stuff, people, or whatever. But I mean, like, if I get home to Kim, I don't go, oh, Kim, you're such an amazing wife. I confess that I didn't buy milk on the way home. Um, thank you for loving me so much. I pray that the boys will behave tonight. And it's just not like, that's, what I, that's my run through every evening. Because if, if that was the case, it, it starts to become a little bit programmed. And I think if we approach God in the same way, then it, it, it also starts to get a bit programmed. And we rely on something like that, and it, it doesn't work. And I don't think that there's anything inherently wrong with adoring God and confessing your sins and, and being thankful and, and praying for stuff. It's just that when you do it within a framework and you, and you restrict yourself to a formula, that it starts to become a little bit disconnected and then you lose touch with the prayer and instead of just instead of just being real um so maybe a good way to think of it as well is to think about how you are with your best friend like you you, you probably when you see your best friend you you guys probably like greet each other however you do i mean like there, there's certain people that the first thing I do when I see them is I hug them. Other people, it's a high five. Other people, I say hello. It depends on the friend. It depends on the relationship. But that's born out of relationship. It's not like a, it's not a formula. And you'll notice that it's different between relationships as well. So the key thing here is, and this is going to be an interesting one, don't, don't always listen to like what other people are saying about, oh, this is how I pray, and this is my relationship, and think, oh, well, that's what I've got to do. Don't necessarily listen to me either. Just throwing out some tips though. But seriously, think about that. Like just just be real. Think about how you develop relationships with your friends. Think about spending time with them. If you don't spend the time, the relationships don't develop. And when you do spend time, you, you don't run through lists of, well, we first got to greet each other, then I'm going to tell you about this. And then I'm like, it just happens naturally. And it needs to be the same in prayer when you're spending time with God. Okay, then the last one is finding balance in prayer. And I think probably this is one of the more important things. Jesus tells his disciples the following things. He says, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. Okay, there's the list of scriptures there. I'll read them out to you. 
that I will do so that my heavenly Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. The next one. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, whatever you wish, oh sorry, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And the last one says, truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. I think Jesus makes it pretty clear to his disciples and to us that if, if we ask, it will be given. But in the context of prayer and maybe what you've all experienced is definitely what I've experienced. Like, that's so challenging to me. Like to ask and go, right, well, where is it? Like it, it's a challenging statement. Ask and it will be given. Um, what, what do we do with something like that when we pray? Do, do we have the boldness to just ask or do we sit there going, oh, I don't deserve to ask actually? Um, hmm, I don't know. Interesting one. But if we read in James, James kind of brings some balance and perspective to that. James in, in James 4 verses 2 to 3 says, You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So what James is saying is we should ask, but we should always be conscious of and submit to God's will. So not to ask for stuff because we just want it and we kind of um, asking with wrong motives. And Jesus models that for us himself as well. When he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before he's going to the cross, he's praying and he's saying to the Lord, please take this cup from me. He's saying, Lord, I actually don't want to go to the cross. If, if there's any other way to do this, let's do that. But I don't want to do my will. I want to do your will. And, and that's like a great balance to find in prayer. Just have the boldness to ask. But then to also turn around and say, I'm asking because this is what I want, but actually at the end of the day, I want what you want. What you want for me is going to be way better than, than my plan. So I'm submitting to what, what you want. Um, and, and that's awesome. Jesus shows us that we can be real about our feelings without letting them control us, or without using them to control God. And I think that's where Job maybe got things a little bit wrong. He got angry because he was, he was questioning God and asking God and maybe trying to control God a little, way, a little bit in the way that he was speaking to him. Whereas Jesus isn't trying to control God at all. He's sharing his heart. He's being bold and he's asking. But he's also saying, Lord, I, I submit to you. I'll go to the cross if, if that's your will for me. Um, and, and that's a great way for us to be praying as well, is to, is to really just look for that. Okay. Lastly, quick, is some, some tools for praying. Okay. First one, it's just to make the time. And, and this has various applications, but number one is go to bed. Just go to bed. Particularly if your um, quiet time is in the morning. Understand that your evening will shape your morning. So if you're going to have a late night, it's going to be difficult to get up in the morning. And if your quiet time is in the morning, then don't have a late night. So just make sure you've got your ducks in a row there. Plan your life and, and go to bed. And then obviously the next step is wake up. Do what you've got to do to wake up. Don't hit the snooze button 20 times. Don't hit the off button, which is even worse. Okay. Do what you've got to do. If that means that you get up out of bed and make yourself a coffee and actually being up and around and yay for caffeine afterwards. But just be awake so that you actually do get around to, to praying. And then this one's great for me, but maybe it helps you as well. It's just to start. Um, just to start. A any amount of prayer is better than no amount of prayer. So if, if you can put together two solid minutes of praying in the beginning, 
that's cool. If you can do five minutes, that's cool. But whatever it is, just, just do it. And then keep going. Because consistency will build the habits. If you stick with it, it'll grow. So two minutes that seems like an eternity in the beginning will turn into five minutes. And then five will turn into ten, and ten will turn into twenty, and it'll, it'll just become easier. Um, but yeah, finding the time can be tough, and um, we have to practice being quiet. Um, and, and like I said earlier, just that, that silence is, is a killer. Being alone with your thoughts, being alone without a TV and a phone to play music and a radio or whatever it is, it can, can be tough. But I think to, to make this a lifestyle, practicing being quiet is, is really, really going to be an important one. So just find the time to be quiet. And, and I'm specifically meaning now not during your normal quiet time. Um, because we're after a lifestyle, just 20 minutes in the morning is not connected to God through the whole day. So do your 20 minutes in the morning, but then also just be conscious of the Lord during the day. So what will that mean? That'll mean finding 30 seconds here and there just to connect with the Lord. It'll mean finding 5 or 10 minutes here and there just to connect with the Lord. So if that's you get to work and you had a hectic time in traffic and you just take 30 seconds just to go, okay, Lord, where are you? Cool. I'm with you. Get out the car, go to work. Then you're not walking in there like a flipping time bomb. Or you're having a rough day at work. People are on your case. Just close the office door. Or if you don't have your own office door, I've got a classroom, so that works for me. But if you don't have that space, just go outside and sit outside for five to ten minutes. And again, just whatever time you have available, because I know we're busy, particularly at this time of the year, but just take a little bit of time and reconnect with the Lord and, and make it a lifestyle. And if you have to, I've done this in the past. If you absolutely have to, set an alarm. Set an alarm for 11.30 and 2.30. And when it goes off, you know, oh, flip. Okay, cool. Because otherwise the, the day kind of runs away with you. So set that alarm and, and just whenever it goes off, just even if it's 30 seconds, just connect with the Lord and, and see what he's saying. Cool. Um, yeah, okay, so... Good one, because the, the more you do that, the easier it becomes. The more you do it, the more it becomes a lifestyle. The more it becomes a lifestyle, the happier Andre will be. Okay. Okay, next. Prayer cards. Okay, these are really cool. Um, you can go to the next slide. Okay, that, that's Rory's prayer card. Um, the idea behind prayer cards is that you, you're not using a list. If, if you guys use lists, you, you probably realize that sometimes that can be a little bit of like a, a sprint event where you're like, dear Lord, please sort out this, 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 and this. Okay, I oh mean, I've got to go. It's time to go make breakfast or whatever it happens to be. And you don't really end up focusing on, on any of the points. So the idea behind a prayer card is you've got a snapshot of a person's life. Um, you pick one or two key areas, pray over them, and it's, it's just like a really short focus exercise. Um, when you've got the time, like obviously that didn't just happen like that. Uh, I, I spent the time writing that out. I spent the time looking for scriptures. Uh, I know what I want to pray for Rory for. Um, so it, it will take time to set the card up. But once you've uh, got the card, then, um, then, then use the card. And um, they, they're that size, so they're very portable. Um, but yeah, look, look at the card there. You can use it to ask questions, to ask for God's wisdom. Um, and they don't have to change much. Like, that, that really hasn't changed over the past few weeks. Um, and I, I'm praying into Rory's life and, and asking God for, for wisdom, particularly how to discipline him because he's, he's a little kid. He, he needs to be from time to time. And 
I don't know, that, that's tough. Um, I'm praying for his integrity, just that the favor of God is over him. Particularly, Rory's like a, he's a gentle little soul, so I'm praying for the Lord to protect his heart, um, that he doesn't get badly influenced by, by kids at school, and, and that the Lord's looking after him. Um, and that, like, that he's always walking with the Lord, uh, always following the Lord. Um, and if you check the top right, that's very exciting. That was Thursday. He gave his life to the Lord, which was, it was awesome. It was weird how the Lord teed it up because I've been praying over this for a while. And, and that's the cool thing about a card is you, you know what you're praying into. It's not just a list. So you pray into a little issue, pray into a little issue. And I, I don't always pick Rory's card. I'll tell you what I do in a sec. But um, So I pray into these issues or into these things over Rory's life just for, for him to be protected, for him to find the Lord, for, for him to love his brother, for him to treat others like he wants to be treated. Because like, I can't obviously show it, but there's stuff on the back as well. Um, and just like on, on the way to school, we always pray and sometimes we'll listen to music. Sometimes I'll put on like an audio Bible. I mean, I just randomly picked John chapter 3, and John chapter 3 is where Nicodemus is asking Jesus about how do you get into heaven, and, that, and Jesus says to him, you've got to be born again. So I explained the whole being born again to Rory, which required me to also explain the fact that we are body, we are soul, and we are spirit. Um, and I had to tell him, okay, well, your body and soul, your spirit isn't alive yet. And he, like, he just switched on. He was like, bah. Like, he was asking me all these questions. Um, when will my spirit come alive? When will this happen? And we, we just chatted, and um, I kind of left it at that. I said, well, you, you think about it, and you pray during the day and, and come back to me. And that, that was Tuesday. Tuesday night ended up being pretty busy. Wednesday ended up being pretty busy. But Thursday, I was at home. Kim was at home. I said to him, I said, have you been thinking about it? And he, was just, he just lit up. He was like, yeah, I want to do it. I want to do it. Um, so that happened. So yeah, that, that's the kind of thing that can happen with a prayer card, is that you, you kind of, whoever you're praying for, you, you know specific things. It's, it's not just a list of, dear Lord, please bless my family. Please look after my wife. Please, you know, like it's, it's, not, it's not surface level like that, which is really nice. Um, okay, so next slide. Okay. So the book talks about having a deck of cards. Because that, that's, that's what all these cards are. You can get these amazing colorful cards at McClear if, if you really want. But what I've done is I've tried to color code everything. So family goes on blue and there isn't one there, but the repentance ones are red and church issue stuff is orange because it's so far. <laughs> I'm OCD like that. But um, So there's a whole bunch of things. And, and the idea isn't that I churn through the whole list in, in, one, in one setting. So I've shuffled this. And I'll just deal with, okay, there's Rory's card. Pray over a couple of things, not even the whole thing, and it goes at the back. And then it's the next one. So that's that one there. You can see it at the top right. That's missions, ministries. So I'm just praying over our missions, which we haven't done in a while, but we're going to get there next year. Hold thumbs for that. Uh, just over our worship, um, all, all the guys that serve, like the ushers and the laptop people, just praying over them, and a bit of a Bible school as well. Uh, and then something that isn't on that list there of uh, like four to ten family members, just an idea that I had, uh, is a be still card, because I, I felt like I needed to do that. So that was a chance for me to um, just be still. Uh, so I've put there Psalm 46 verse uh, 10, which says, be still and know that I'm God. And I'm basically just being still, and I'm asking the Lord, okay, I'm actually not praying over any of my card issues. I want you to 
I want you to tell me what to pray about. What, are, what am I praying out? Are, are you highlighting a thing to me? Are you highlighting a person to me? Um, and I'll be honest, like this is one of my favorite cards to, to pull out of the deck when I'm praying. There's so many times where like a name's come up and I've sent that person a message during the day and it's, it's just blessed them and obviously then it, it blesses you because you, you're hearing from the Lord. So yeah, you could do two or three cards and when you're done with them, they go at the back so that then you're starting on the next card the next time you sit down to pray. And it's, yeah, I've, like I said, I, I struggle with this sort of thing. So for me, it's been really, really helpful just to kind of add structure but without like saying it's going to be this, 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 this and this every time. I can, I can pick on a card like on Rory's card or Kim's card or Jared's card, like just the one thing. If I'm really struggling with discipline with the boys, it'll be I pray into discipline. If it's ugh, whatever it happens to be, if I'm feeling worship, I'll, I'll pray for you guys, but not for the ashes. Sorry, guys. But uh, like that's the point. You, you don't have to feel like you, you go through everything every time. It's, it's really just where the Lord pulls your heart, and it's just pick out key issues on, on each card and, and go for it. Okay, and then the last thing... Um, is, is a prayer journal. And the prayer journal is quite a cool thing. Um, I've, I've started blogging recently, and I've found that blogging like, really declutters my head because I have these issues in my head, or not issues, but sometimes issues, thoughts and like, how does prayer work? Because I obviously have to write down a sermon, but like, being quiet and, and being still and, and these things. And when I take the time to type it out and go, mm, I don't like what I said there, delete it and read redo it it just gets all the the clutter out of my head i've thrown it onto a screen and there it is and my mind is is happy and i don't have to be thinking oh what what do i think about that i've formalized it and i've put it on paper in a sense and a prayer journal can do a similar thing so what it does what you're going to do is is write down key thoughts or requests or questions on a regular basis and and again it's just about making a habit ideally every day I, i definitely don't get around to mine every day but do it once a week. Once a week is cool and go two weekly after that when, you, when it starts to become habits and, and build it up, build it up. And what starts to happen is that you start to see trends building up. So the Lord has really been there for me this week. He's really been there for me this month. Um, and you can, you can ask. I mean, it's ideal to just start with, with the questions there. Like, I don't know how well you can read that, but how am I doing? So just ask, how am I doing? And, and respond to that and write it down. Like, I'm really feeling stressed at work. Um, what's coming at me? Okay, like it's a lot of assignments. It's a lot of exam marking. It's a lot of whatever it happens to be in your particular situation. And then ask again, like, am I happy? Am I sad, thankful, discouraged, angry, frustrated? And put that down on paper and just say, Lord, I am so angry right now. I'm so angry right now. And then the next thing is to go, Okay, God, what are you saying about it? And listen and let God talk to you about your anger and then get into the Word and, like, what does the Word say about that? And really spend time with God, really spend time in the Bible. Flip and just use the Internet and look up scriptures on anger and see what they say to you. And when you do that, you you just get through what's happening in your life and you, you put all of it down on paper and it declutters your head and off you go. And then as you do that week by week by week, you start to see hey, but God's been there, and oh, he was there too, and oh, he was there too, and here's where I am in the story, and hey, I'm seeing patterns and trends develop. Um, yeah, so, so that's, that's been it for me. It's, it's been really cool to not stress so much about prayer, and when I get to prayer time, 
instead of worrying about what I should be praying for just to get there and go, Yo, Lord, mine's in a mess today. I'm really stressed about this stuff at work. Um, kids have been tricky today. Head's a little bit messy. I hope that this prayer session can go well. And then pick up a prayer card and, and, and start and, and really just trying to get my head into the Lord, uh, where the Lord is and, and pick it up. So I hope all those, those tips help you and um, give you also just, just somewhere to go for. But if we, if we quickly kind of sort of go full circle here and, and think about it, in the beginning, when I told you about the, the verses that speak to prayer, the, the themes were humility, righteousness, being in need or distress, and, and faith. And having gone through all of that, I, thought, I was like, hey, but some of these things pull back to those topics. So humility is like just being real. It's being you. It's asking but submitting to God's will. Then the theme of righteousness. If, if we're going to be in right standing with God, we, we've got to repent. And then the other one was being in need or distress. And, and that's just like sometimes you just got to say to the Lord, this is where I am. So come as a child and come messy and just be in need. And, and the Lord, I mean, he says in the scriptures, he, he answers the prayers of the needy. Um, and then faith is, we've got to have faith when we pray. But be aware of being cynical. Because being cynical and going, uh, well, I don't know, kills your faith. So be aware of being cynical. Always hope. And look for Jesus in your day. Look for Jesus in your week or in your month. Um, yeah, so that's really decluttered my head. I, I hope it helps for you.